Hey everybody, just a few quick announcements before we kick this off. First, be sure to listen to our last episode for details about our special tasting with Fassbind Eau de Vie at Tales of the Cocktail this year. It's a free event that I put together specifically for our podcast listeners, but space is very, very limited. So tune in to episode 231, the episode before this one, to learn how to reserve your seat ASAP if you'll be in New Orleans for Tales of the Cocktail this July. There's only a few seats left, so definitely tune in, learn how to reserve yours before they're all gone. Also, due to the imminent redesign of our website, you might not see the show notes page for this episode up in a timely fashion. This is to avoid having weird duplicate content floating around while we manage two copies of our website. It's a whole thing. But we do have a really great YouTube video of my conversation for this episode, complete with screen shares of the visuals we discuss. And we have some dedicated Instagram posts as well. So don't despair. The show notes will eventually come, but until then, hit up our YouTube and Instagram for all the juicy deets. Now, on to the show. Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 232 of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for tuning in to another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, my guest is photographer and whiskey enthusiast Ernie Button, whose brand new book, The Art of Whiskey, is capturing the imaginations of spirits enthusiasts everywhere. Now, I get a lot of books in the mail. Most are unsolicited, and consequently, most get immediately donated to those delightful little free library boxes that people put up. But as soon as The Art of Whiskey crossed my desk... I dropped everything and I had a little nerdy freakout session. Not only is the photography stunning, but the way that Ernie stages and dramatizes the unique fingerprint that each dram leaves in the bottom of the glass raises questions about both the art and science of whiskey making. We're about to dive head first into all of it in this conversation, but I wouldn't be a very good host if I didn't first give you the chance to make yourself a drink. Even though we're dealing with boozy, contemplative subject matter this episode, I wanted to do a complete 180 for this segment and feature something that's refreshing, sweet, and a great way to kick off summer. In keeping with that, our featured cocktail is the Monkey Gland. To make it, you'll need one and a half ounces of gin, one and a half ounces of fresh orange juice, and one to two bar spoons each of grenadine, simple syrup, and absinthe. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, shake until the drink is well chilled and properly diluted, then strain into a chilled stemmed cocktail glass, garnish optionally with an orange twist, and enjoy. 
The monkey gland is perhaps the least well-known of Harry McElhone's original or rumored to be original cocktails from the 1920s at his establishment, Harry's New York Bar in Paris. This list, of course, features the French 75, the Bloody Mary, the Boulevardier and Old Pal, and the sidecar, but the monkey gland, you'll notice, looks a bit different than these Sours and Negroni riffs. The key here is to be comfortable dialing in this beverage to your own taste. Everyone's gonna use a slightly different absinthe, different orange juice, and different grenadine. So if you're planning on making the monkey gland for guests, I'd recommend doing a test run so that you can understand how all of your ingredients will play together in the glass. And let's also not forget that we're living in a gin renaissance where you can get gin that tastes so vastly different from the standard tankerays and beef eaters on the shelves. So your gin, your base spirit, is also going to be an important consideration here. And of course, you're gonna get some questions about why this thing is called the monkey gland. I'm not gonna spoil the entire story here because this one gets a little weird, but I will say that it involves some questionable medical procedures designed to cure male impotence and even improve longevity. So now that you've got a new drink to test and a new Wikipedia rabbit hole to tumble down, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this stimulating conversation with photographer and whiskey enthusiast, Ernie Button, some of the topics we discuss include how Ernie married his way into a love for scotch and how that fondness turned to wonder and curiosity one night when he was about to put his whiskey glasses into the dishwasher. The collaborative approach that Ernie took to explore this subject, pulling in fluid dynamics physicists at Ivy League universities and even resulting in a published paper in an academic journal what it takes to coax the fingerprint out of each spirit he photographs, and why these images appear molecular or planetary or nebular in shape and structure. By way of illustration, we look at a few images from The Art of Whiskey, which help to showcase the ways in which whiskey scatters and reflects light. We also dig into some of the chemical forces responsible for these phenomena in Ernie's experience, including the influence of charred oak barrels, cask finishes, and Pete. Along the way, we discuss exciting developments in the rice whiskey world, an encounter with barrel-aged botanist gin, why grape-based spirits are just the absolute worst for photography, and much, much more. Full disclosure, this conversation is me at my absolute nerdiest and most joyful. Ernie's work is a delicious collision of some of my favorite ideas to play around with, namely a particle-based model of the universe, the complex interactions between those particles, and the beautiful emergent phenomena that we filter through our senses and describe with words like flavor and texture and art. I do hope you'll take the time to head over to our YouTube channel, or our Instagram to see some of the images that we reference in this conversation. Even more than that, I hope you'll think of the art of whiskey next time you're in the market for a gift for someone who loves art, science, or simply a fine dram of something that spent time in a barrel. With that, please enjoy one of my favorite conversations ever on this podcast with none other than photographer and whiskey enthusiast, Ernie Button. 
Ernie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. So let's kick this off as we always do by having you introduce yourself to our listeners. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> My name is Ernie Butson. I am a resident of Phoenix, Arizona, have been here in the desert Southwest for about 45 years now. We're getting to the very hot season. So this is the last bit of good weather that we're going to have before it's consistently 105 to 110. My day job is I'm a speech pathologist uh, at a local hospital, um, but I have been a photographer for pretty much my entire life. I didn't know that there was this big world of exhibitions, of museums, of really showing and sharing my work until my wife went to grad school for fine art painting. And since that time, I've just been not obsessed, but really driven to develop bodies of work, portfolios, and share them with the public. That's brilliant. One thing you may not know is that I also have a fine arts degree. Oh, nice. uh, mine is in poetry. Okay. So uh, it was one of those things where I got it and then immediately entered the workforce <laughs> as somehow worse qualified than I, than I would have been if I had just come out of undergrad. But the consequence of me having that arts degree is that I resonate with your work in a number of ways. And I'm excited to dig into those ways as we get into the conversation sure. here. But I'm, I'm going to drop three terms with you right now. The first okay. of which is a throwaway. The first term is whiskey, right? Yep. You and I both know that we're passionate about whiskey. Uh, the other two terms may be useful as we get into our conversation here. Uh, the second one is particles. Okay. And if you look at some of your photography, particles are an important aspect of the way that you visually present this. And, and the other term I'm going to drop here that may be the least obviously relevant right now, but maybe as we get further in our conversation will become more of a topic that we interact with is something called emergence, which okay. my definition of emergence is what happens when a group of particles begin to interact and then create some sort of phenomenon that is visual or perceptible to us mm -hmm. that is greater than the sum of those individual particles acting together. And when I first encountered your work in this book, The Art of Whiskey, that we'll be discussing here in this interview, Particles and emergence were the two singular things on my mind as I was looking at this gorgeous photography. So I figured I'd just throw those terms out there as sure. a way for us to kind of enter this conversation. And then I would just leave it to you to tell our listeners how the worlds of whiskey and photography collided for you. The, the Obviously, all three of those words are, are fabulous descriptors for my current work and the the third term was really which we'll get to was describing the science and the interaction of how this process starts to develop but um, as i mentioned at the start you know i've been a, a lifelong photographer as a kid you know i remember saving for my first film camera that i went in jointly with my brother it was a canon ae1 and, um, you know, it's always been an interest and a hobby of mine. But as I became a working adult, you know, it really started to become a, a respite, a place where I could explore 
my thoughts, my ideas, my humor, uh, all of that through you know different bodies of work and different portfolios. How the photography and this current body of work, Vanishing Spirits, intersected, we had a or have a painter friend of ours that collected rocks and agates. You know, those are slices of rock with moss and inclusions in them so that, you know, if you look at them and, you know, take away all the uh, extraneous stuff on the outside, there are many landscapes in there. You know, oftentimes uh, suggestive of landscapes, sometimes very directly uh, representing landscapes. She had always wanted to do a photography project with those. And so because we were friends, I said, sure, well, I'll go ahead and give it a try. And, you know, through that process of learning how to light these small objects and these small rocks, I figured out very quickly how to light what I was seeing in this whiskey phenomenon. So, you know, when I first saw this whiskey phenomenon, it was after having a, a dram with my wife and the glasses were left out on the table overnight and they dried as I've learned how they dry and, and how quickly they dry. And when I woke up in the morning to take the glass to the dishwasher, I noticed this fine residue in the bottom of the glass. And when I held it up to the light, there was these really intricate fine lines in the bottom that I'm like, I had just finished this project. So I'm like, oh, light bulb immediately went off and it said, I know how to light this. I know how to try and bring out what is naturally happening. And back then I was working on film. I had a medium format camera, which is a beast of a camera, but it gave you beautiful, you know, transparencies. And so I had to wait for like a week or two for the film to get back. And when I saw the results, I'm like, "Mm, there's something there, something that I want to continue to explore. And that's really the genesis of this project roughly 15 years ago now that, uh, you know, just something that was naturally occurring, that I had the skill set to be able to pursue, you know, it, it really just kind of blossomed from that one singular aha moment. Yeah. One of the things that I want to do right now is slow myself down because I want to go down every single rabbit hole that you just mentioned and just completely alienate our listener base by asking <laughs> questions that are way more specific than we need to get into. Yeah. So what I'm going to do, it's okay to slow be my own role. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. I promise. <laughs> I, I, I want to get there on a, on a, on like maybe a 45 degree slope sure. instead of like an 89 degree slope. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to ask you how you got into whiskey. And I, I, you kind of generally said that, you know, your, your wife yep. and you had been interested in scotch whiskey. I've listened to your story on another podcast, yeah. the whiskey cast that I listened to. I'm wondering if you might even back up slightly further than that and sure. just explain what attracts you to whiskey in the first place, both from a flavor standpoint and from a process standpoint, maybe starting with flavor and then getting into process, because I know that in the, in the course of this project that you've undertaken, you've, you've done a lot of travel to Scotland as well. So can, can you just walk us through the whiskey side of things? Absolutely. Um, really the genesis of this project is as a result of my wife's father. So my father-in-law, he was a big, uh, Scotch whiskey drinker and one of the big splurges back then for him was like a Glenlivet 12. And so, you know, he 
shared some with my wife early on uh, before we were married and really, you know, expected her to hate it. And she, you know, really enjoyed it. And so it really became a bonding element for my wife and her dad. And to this day, they in, enjoy a dram like like nobody else, you know. Um, and so, you know, me marrying into the family, I had to step up my game and really appreciate um, a, a Scotch whiskey. And so, you know, you asked, you know, specifically what what do I enjoy about the flavor profile? Um, it really is for me now, it's very difficult to, to separate the journeys that we've taken to Scotland and knowing the smells of a distillery and the smells of the barley. Um, and just being able to smell that, you know, in the glass, you know, the glass really, you know, when you smell that you're immediately transported to, back in Scotland. If you've ever taken a distillery tour, you know the smells and you know the process and you know the hard work and the the time that goes into this little thing that you're enjoying. So for me, it's it's very difficult to separate those things out. Um, you know, I enjoy being able to taste that barley to be able to for me, it's a little more challenging to be able to separate out those those um, uh, tastes that they describe. And so it, it's definitely a challenge for me to be able to taste that, that um, pineapple taste on, on the back end or, you know, um, so things like that. One of the ways that I often describe the process of tasting a whiskey and kind of interacting with that challenge that you just described sure. is as if you're tracking an animal. Yep. And I'm sure that resonates with you because you've done, you know, you've gone to the places, right? So places is, is a part of it. Yeah. And especially when you get more intimate with the process mm -hmm. of creating these whiskeys, you start to be able to tie certain things that you taste in the glass with certain processes that these distillers and these blenders and yeah you know, the, the people who are down there also kind of engaging with these finishes, right. Whether it's a cask finish or whether they're blending, you know, certain, um, you know, sort of ex, ex bourbon casks, um, these steps that they're engaging with all the way from malting through fermentation, distillation, straight through the aging and blending process, you can sort start to trace these things into the flavors that you're getting. And so doubtless that's, the same thing that you're kind of describing as, as you get this on the palate. And, and I'm wondering if you might take us through what this looks like in the glass, because if every whiskey that you put into a glass yeah. dried the same way, and had the same effects on that surface that you are then going into photograph, uh -huh. then you wouldn't have the diverse collection of art that you have. But it seems like what you're doing is you're capturing different phenomena within a single category being what we might call grain or malt whiskey in, in general. 
Um, so uh, can you talk about that? Can you talk sure. about both the process of the vanishing of that spirit in the bottom of the glass and also the forces that you think are responsible for these yeah. different fingerprints as, as I've described them sure. in the past? Yeah. I'm, I'm, there's lots of uh, thoughts going through my mind, you know, trying to condense this so that it's just not one 30 minute <laughs> answer. Um, so to create this phenomenon, you, you need a spirit with high ABV, so high alcohol uh, by volume. So whiskey is a perfect example of that. Um, you need a flat bottom glass. You know, so a, a Glen Cairn won't work because when it's drying, it's dry, with a Glen Cairn, it's drying into this small little divot. Whereas with the, uh, the, like a rocks glass or a tumbler, you know, it's a flat bottom that you know, can spread out and it will dry a lot faster that way as the alcohol is spreading out. Now, one of the things to remember is that it doesn't take a lot of alcohol or a lot of whiskey to be able to create this phenomenon. I've described it where if you drain the cup you know, and get that last drop in your mouth, there's still enough residue in the glass left over to be able to create this phenomenon. So, you know, for people that are worried about wasting whiskey for this process, you can create it on your own by just enjoying that last drop of the dram, and there's still going to be an image left for you. I always like to refer to it as drinks in a show, because you're getting that, that exhibition after you've enjoyed the dram. And so it really is just the dregs, the residue of the whiskey that's creating this. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's really the heart of it. Let me try and share my screen here okay. and I've got my screen coming up here and I'm hopefully going to be pulling up some photos that you have shared with us. Okay. Let, let's look at this one. The, the Arbed, yep. the, the Arbed Oogadol, yep. um, the Oogie as they call it. Is this a good example that we can use as a case study for what you're describing? No, that is absolutely perfect. Oftentimes, the Isla whiskeys are a bit more challenging to get a pattern or a, a refined pattern out of because of the peat, because that extra element um, makes the lines a little bit more fuzzy, not as clear. Um, I'm able to finesse it, obviously, because I was able to get a really fine pattern out of this. Um, and this is a good time to explain a little bit more of the process. Um, yeah. I've accumulated over the 15 years various glasses that I know will do different things in the drying process. So mm. if one is, um, you know, a bit too, um, a bit too concave where it's collecting a little bit too much, I know what that's going to produce for me and which particular whiskey I should use in that. Whereas, you know, something like an Isla, I want it more flat so that there will be a bit more separation in the, the pattern. And I know which whiskeys, which regions are going to give me better images. So that, that's been interesting to learn over the years. But this particular image created a wonderful pattern for me. And oftentimes, you know, to add some, some artistic effect, I'll add different color lights and different color gels. That's me adding the color. But with this one, this just shows 
how the light is being refracted into that, that rainbow pattern. That's just a single light source. And as it's moving through the particles, it's being divided into the different colors in the spectrum. So I found this one fascinating just because, you know, it was my first indication that these particles are really not quite acting like a prism, but, you know, giving me a, a different density. So it's giving me different, um, different light colors. It also, a couple of the other things that I see from this image, and for anybody who's listening to us on the podcast, I, again, check out the YouTube video, check out our Instagram. This image is also featured there. But in the center, we have almost like a rosette or a rose uh, where like you've got this sort of dense, densely packed and then also spreading kind of fractal of like almost crepey concentric lines. And then as you get out toward the edges of this image, you get more color as uh, you just described the sort of refractive pattern of the light that you're passing through this. But you also get what looks to me to be almost like a fusion of electricity and sediment, right? Like there's, yeah. there's sort of a crispy nature to these lines, but there's also a sedimentary nature to them. And the reason why I mentioned that is because I was hoping that you could go as far as you're willing to go into the way that the drying and the surface tension of these spirits yields the outcome that I'm currently sharing on my screen. Does that make any sense? It does. So when I'm drying these patterns and I'm watching them dry, um, it's a little bit faster than paint drying. Um, <laughs> they, they dry from out to in. So if we're getting a good consolidation in that center, you know, kind of the, the finale or the fury of the, the image, that's where it's, it's last drying um, um, finale. You know, everything is drying from out to in. So there's oftentimes a little bit more in the center. Um, and so that's the last part that dries. So if you think about whiskey, it's made up of three elements. You got the water, you got the, the grain, which for, for Scotch whiskey, it's a barley. And um, then it's the yeast. So those three ingredients are not going to produce this, these patterns. What is really the secret sauce is the, those three elements through the uh, new make spirit resting in the cask. And so that is what is creating, that's the magic ingredient that really creates this phenomenon. It's the organic material that is infused into the new make and is drawn out by the new make from the barrels um, to create these patterns. It's a pretty awesome, wondrous, um, natural phenomenon um, that, you know, as I was going around Scotland over the years and talking with different distillers, they've oftentimes seen this, this phenomenon. They're like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Um, but I found it so interesting. And, and with my photography background, I was able to bring kind of a uniqueness to it. So really it's the aging in the cask, or yeah, the cask that gives it that information to be able to create these patterns. I have experimented with 
you know, uh, moonshine or, or, um, you know, early on in the project, I picked up a, a bottle of the Jim Beam Ghost, which is non-aged, and there was nothing. So I'm like, okay, there's got to be something to do with that wood interaction. And I don't know if you had the chance to read that uh, research paper that was published. I didn't read the research paper. I read the summary in okay. the book that that, that you uh, that you included. Yeah, the introduction was really informative in terms of the interdisciplinary way that you engaged in this uh, experimentation. So maybe since you're mentioning that research paper, can you talk about um, how you were able to collaborate with some university professors and, and scientists? Because Pestering professors is also something that yeah. I am also very fond of. So uh, <laughs> feel feel free to comment on that as well. No, I, I'm I'm a man of questions, and so after a couple of years of experimenting with this process, I'm like, okay, why is this happening? So of course I went to Google and I was trying to research on my own. And about the time I was asking those questions, uh, Dr. Peter Yunker um, put out a paper. Um, talking about the coffee ring effect, um, you know, why, you know, you get that coffee ring effect, you know, if you spill a little coffee and it's under your mug. Um, and so I reached out to him and um, he's like, yeah, it's interesting what you're seeing, but my paper won't answer that. And so the conversation kind of stopped there. And so I'm like, okay, let me, um, you know, go to Google again. And I typed in, what did I think I typed in Harvard? I typed in fluid dynamics and I typed in whiskey and not knowing what I would get. And like the second or third entry was this guy by the name of Dr. Howard Stone, because he had worked at Harvard and then he had moved to Princeton. So I tracked down an email and, and just uh, on the off chance that he might respond to an email, I said, hey, I'm seeing this, this phenomenon. Would you be able to explain what's going on? And... I expected him to say, no, you know, I, I can't and I don't have time. One of the nicest guys on the planet. R truly, he was like, you know, this is really interesting. Here's a paper that I did uh, a decade or two ago that might explain something about it, but I've never really seen this phenomenon. And so we developed a, a correspondence over email. And, um, you know, the more that he thought about it, the more that he investigated the more he's like, oh, well, we should get some of our PhD students on this and see if anybody's interested. Because that's he's the director of the Complex Fluids Group over at Princeton. Um, it's a very fancy title, and uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And so um, the way that it works there is the you know they've got tons of PhD candidates that if they're interested in an idea, they get to pursue that and they get to you know write a paper and he's going to help them with that and. They get to pursue publishing it. And so he, he found a, a few students that were interested in picking up this idea and running with it. Lo and behold, a couple years later, you know, they had a finished product and uh, we got it published in 2016 in physical re review letters, physical review letters, PRL, which uh, is a proper physics journal. So um, yeah, pretty uh, amazing that they included me as a co-author on the paper because I brought them this idea and I've done so much of my end of the research that they're like, you should be on the paper. 
That's that's awesome. Well, there's it truly is. there's one thing that uh, grad students will always be a fan of, and that is the excuse to work with distilled spirits <laughs> and imbibe them. And the thing that I can see the authors and the people who are reviewing these peer reviewed papers would be interested in is anything that's more interesting than what they're currently <laughs> working with the titles that they're currently working with. So if you can stick a, a whiskey or a distilled spirit in there, I think that really ups your sure. odds of, uh, of, of getting the attention of the Academy because, oh man, I've been a part of the Academy and it's, it's not always as interesting as it seems. So where do we go from here? I think that we have a good sense of how you are coming to the intersection of photography and spirits. Mm -hmm. We've got the basics down in terms of how this phenomenon occurs, right? You basically leave a couple drops of whiskey in the bottom of a glass, it dries and it creates some sort of sedimentary evaporative pattern unique to it, right? Yes. So this is how you are able to capture the unique fingerprint of this vanishing spirit. How about you take us through the ways that you have chosen to stylize and portray these? Because what we've been discussing so far is mostly a physical phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is you're taking that physical phenomenon and you're transforming it based on what you're seeing. And it's part self-expression. And it's also partially you listening to what's already there on the canvas, if that makes any sense. So can you talk about that tension and then the ways that you use, uh, especially color to manipulate yeah. these creations and draw out the landscapes? So I think landscape is a good way to also think about these things because you, you have a, an entire series based on like planets. Yes. So why don't you take that and run? Yeah, the, the project has definitely evolved over the years because me as a person, you, you evolve over, you know, 15 years of working on something. And so when I was first getting into this process, I was really just fascinated with the lines, the fact that I could re repeat this over and over again, and it would give me slightly different results, you know, based on all the different elements, you know, how, how quickly it was drying, the type of glass that I was using, the type of whiskey that I was using. It was all interesting and new to me. And so Really, I wanted to capture the feeling of what I was experiencing by seeing these. And so, absolutely, I was uh, using different colored lights to be able to bring out the highlights in the patterns to elevate a particular section of the, the, the glass so that, you know, this particular rhythm or pattern was more interesting than this pattern. And so that's what it was all about in the first several years is really trying to gain my footing of how can I make this interesting to me and ultimately the people looking at uh, these prints or these images. You know, I started to experiment with cropping them into circles, primarily because, you know, well, two reasons. When we drink from a glass, it's typically a circle. Uh, and so if you were, you know, looking at the, the possibility that someone might see this in the bottom of their glass, that's why I was cropping it into a circle because that interplay of the viewer saying, hey, I could potentially see this in the bottom of my glass because that's how I first discovered it. And from a practical standpoint, oftentimes if I'm cropping it into a circle, and this is a little peek behind the curtains, is that 
if I'm cropping it into a circle, oftentimes there's nothing interesting beyond that. You know, it kind of diffuses or it doesn't make those uh, fantastic lines or it's just not enough information to highlight. And so I'm really highlighting that circle section. So that's how the circle evolved because initially I, everything was a square. I was just cropping it into squares, you know, because it, it made a, a fine looking print, you know, if it's a, a, a square. But, you know, evolving into the circle was that, that next step. Several years more, I noticed that a lot of the images that I was taking and found fascinating had this NASA Hubble telescope uh, celestial feel to them. So I'm like, uh, number one, if I'm going to leave it as a landscape, I want to highlight uh, what's giving that galaxy feeling. Um, then I became obsessed with, okay, you know, uh, looking at the NASA website and the, the Instagram page, lots of planets, lots of pictures of planets. And I'm like, hmm, these kind of have a planetary feel. So how can I shape this into a sphere so that it looks more planetary without losing the integrity of all the patterns are coming from the, the whiskey itself. I'm okay at Photoshop. You know, I use it to color correct. I use it to spot, you know, dust particles. Living here in Arizona, there's lots of dust in the air. So to dry these, you can't cover them. You have to leave it exposed to the air. So there's going to be some dust that gets in there. So, you know, I'm using Photoshop to really just make the image pop. I'm not replicating lines. I'm not, you know, taking parts and, and duplicating it. But with the, the Planet series, I started to distort them into more of a sphere. And I really studied how they're shaded, you know, how they look, you know, as another planet is coming across them or if it's in an eclipse. You know, what is that, um, that sensation looking like? And so that took uh, quite a few years to be able to figure out exactly. That, that's one of the perfect representations is I wanted it to feel more like a planet more than just something that was turned into a bubble. And so right. that so just so just for people listening in, what we've got featured right now is the planet McAllen. Uh, do you, do you know what, um, McAllen iteration this was? Um, uh, what, um, the it says number one Oh, one. Oh, the, the three digit number is more of a cataloging for me because I was mm -hmm. making so many images. I had to give them different numbers, but sure. Ma Ma with the McAllen, I was typically using either a, a fine Oak 12 or a, mm -hmm. uh, a Sherry Cast 12. Um, I think they've done away with the Fine Oak series, but um, yeah, it was typically one of the 12s that, that I was uh, using. So yeah, sorry for interrupting. That's I just okay. wanted to uh, introduce what we had on the screen here, just sort of like as an exemplar of what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I really started to gravitate. Some just had that planetary feeling. And there are some that I will try out and try that spherical look. And it's like, eh, it just doesn't look good. So I'm, I'm going to uh, leave it as a, a flat image. And some just lended themselves to um, that spherical look. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. If you're a regular listener of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. You've heard me talk about Near Country quite a bit over the last year. 
And I have another exciting announcement. They've got cheese, guys. Not only do Adam and his team work with a bunch of awesome local farmers and fishermen here in the Mid-Atlantic to provide you with sustainably raised and delicious proteins, but they've upped the ante yet again, and they now offer delicious cheeses, cow's milk and sheep's milk cheeses that you can subscribe to on a monthly basis, or you can just go ahead and add them to your cart as an add-on at any point. Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, all one word, at checkout. Becoming a Near Country Provisions subscriber is easily one of the biggest quality of life improvements I've made in the last year or two, so I hope you'll give Near Country Provisions a shot and let me know what you think. Now, back to the show. So one of the things that I learned in doing a little bit of research for this interview is, I mean, you've already mentioned the fact that you feel that the barrel aging of the spirit is what really accounts for a lot of the lines and striations and color Mm -hmm. uh, sort of refractive patterns that, that you've mentioned thus far. Uh, but one thing that you also noted is that grain-based distillates seem to operate differently than perhaps a grape distillate or a cane distillate. I don't know if you've done much work in the agave space, but perhaps uh, from an agave distillate. So have you noticed anything pertaining to the distillate base playing into how a spirit dries as opposed to the barrel aging medium. Now I imagine that it's probably a much more sensitive thing to try to perceive because uh, it seems like what you're saying is those barrel aging influences are so much heavier from a visual perspective than the distillate base influences. But nonetheless, have you noticed anything as a consequence of the distillate bases? No, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's been kind of the next phase of of this project. Um, When I started, there weren't a lot of barrel-aged products out there. Whiskey was pretty much it. You know, there there were some that if you knew your spirits, um, you'd be able to get your hands on. Like, I didn't know that there was a barrel-aged gin category. But because whiskey has become so popular over the past couple decades, now there's a an offshoot of anything that, that's barrel-aged. So there's many more options of barrel-aged gin. Um, Absolute Vodka, back in 2016, came out with Oak by Absolute. So everybody was trying something barrel-aged. Um, yeah. And so that kind of rekindled my original thesis of, okay, you know, when you you know pursue a tequila or you pursue a rum or you pursue um, something that's not barrel aged, what happens if you start to uh, look at it from a barrel aged perspective? And the results have been surprising because I'm getting some different patterns from these spirits that are are barrel aged. Um, so I mentioned the oak by absolute. Um, 
that produced some interesting patterns. Not as not as dense, not as clear as the uh, the whiskey, of course, but it was producing something similar. And then um, Anejo tequila um, that produces some interesting patterns. I, I got my hands on some Partida uh, uh, Anejo, some really nice patterns. Um, rum always gave me a hint of um, uh, of a pattern, but I tried some Ron Zacapa, mm-hmm. and that gave me kind of a a fluid gas-like pattern, which was really interesting. I think I posted one of those on my Instagram, and I turned that into a planet because it was this. What it looked like a flame, it looked like a flower, and it was not this the consistent repetitive pattern that whiskey would do. So obviously there was some barrel influence there. Anything that is grape-based um, will not produce a pattern, which was a little disappointing. So like a cognac and a brandy, nothing. <laughs> it's it's so sad because grape-based distillates and fr- uh, fruit distillates of, of all sorts are actually one of my, my greatest passions. So it's kind of no, sad absolutely. to hear that. But yeah. I... I'm interested in the general phenomenon that you're pointing out here because, I mean, as you've already referenced, this has been a project of over a decade, like a decade and a half long project for you. And what warms my heart about this conversation is because is the fact that like usually when somebody comes out with a book, especially in the art world, they're like, all right, here's my stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go do something else now. <laughs> and you've got this remarkable collection. You've got the unifying factor being mm-hmm. Scotch whiskey, but you're also just steeped in this world of so many different types of spirits that you can pass through this same type of process and you still have a lot of ground to cover in terms of what can be done with it. Um, I want to reference probably my favorite part of the conversation that you had with the guys from the whiskey cast. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you said something and I'm quoting you here. So you said it, so you can go ahead and you can, you can sure, reverse it right sure. now if you want, but you said that you are against chemical analysis in terms of like, you know, perhaps putting this stuff through like a mass spectrometer or something because it breaks the mystery of what's happening. And yet you're still interested in learning what's happening. Right. And I love that because it is truly the art speaking, right? Like the artist is trying to translate the universal through the particular and vice versa. So you've got this particular spirit here, whether it's the McAllen, whether it's the Ardbeg Ugadol, you're taking this particular spirit and you're trying to pass this through your lighting and your camera rig in a way that somehow communicates something to the viewers an aspect of the universal experience of it, mm-hmm. a whiskey. Yeah. And so I love this tension of being like, ah, I don't really want to pat. I don't want to know what every particle is doing in this. I don't want to necessarily know all the math behind it. And yeah, I'm still curious about the trends of what's going on. Can you talk about that sure, tension of sure. wanting to know, but also not wanting to break this, the magic? You know, art, Whiskey is an art as much as it is a science, you know, Um, when you have, I've had the pleasure of meeting both David Stewart and Brian Kinsman, 
And what they do in such a, a gut feeling flash of a moment, it's an art. It's not something that you can, you, you can learn the science of it, but when they're smelling a, a sample and they're making that quick judgment, that's an art. You know, that's something that is, yeah, it can sort of be taught, but it can't, you know, because you either have it or you don't. And so from an art perspective, it's the exploration that excites me. It's the, the really trying to figure out almost on my own what's being created, what, what this particular whiskey will, will do for me. And in the process, I'm getting better at making images. And that's what we all want to do is get better at our craft. You know, I want to get better as a photographer, as an image maker. Um, I'm sure the people in the whiskey industry are wanting to get better at what they're doing, putting out a, a superior project than it was 10 years ago. And so that's my reluctance to really do a chemical analysis, because that would be simple. Take all my samples, you know, have them analyzed. It's like, okay, here's the data, you know, and it's like that would answer certain questions for me. But would I be as excited about exploring if I'm just like, okay, there's the answer. I know what this one's going to do. So there is an element of mystery. You know, what is it going to reveal to me um, that, that excites me about these projects and excites me about exploring something like Japanese whiskey, which was a huge surprise to me, you know, uh, knowing that the different grains, rice versus barley is going to give me something completely different. So, I mean, I, I think if I had the answer, I might have been less enthused about exploring something like rice whiskey. So, you know, you always hate to say never because who knows, I might break down and say, I got to know. I got to know what's in this versus this. But I think it would remove a lot of the mystery. Just like, you know, if you're told how something is created, um, you know, like on, on a movie, if you know that it's all props and, and sets and special effects, it's like, oh, you get, you lose that sense of wonder, that sense of mystery. And, you know, life is, life is tough. Life is hard. And it's nice to have a little bit of wonder and a little bit of mystery in, in what you do. So all, all yeah, that to I'm... say, yeah, I said that and I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, really, really eloquently stated. Uh, it reminds me of something uh, that a past guest uh, stated on our podcast, Mark Forsyth, okay. who is the author of a, a Short History of Drunkenness. And he <laughs> said that, that humans can't take much of reality. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we drink. And so, sure. you know, to, to get in there and to, it, it's almost, if you're looking at this from a physics perspective, it's almost like there's this temptation to become La Plus's demon to become mm -hmm. this entity who knows the physical, mathematical, perfect result of every state of every physical system in existence, because then you'd be able to predict everything and you'd be all all knowing functionally omniscient, which would be and a little yet, bit boring. 
Yeah, it really does seem that way. And another way to go at this would be to say there have been music artists who have used big data to calculate mm -hmm. how these all these top 10 billboard hits have gone. And that gave us Nickelback. <laughs> and I don't think anybody here is really celebrating the fact that Nickelback is, you know, God's gift to the world, right? So, so uh, the last kind of the third thing I'll bring into this is is a, a quote. Uh, I don't remember who it's attributed to. It's always stuck with me: is that there is no great beauty that hath not some strangeness in proportion. Sure. And I think that when I see your work, one of the things that I see you pulling out from all these whiskey fingerprints, whether it's in the shape of a planet or a nebula, or it's more of like, a, you know, you zoom in even further on the macro and you get almost these like magma-like perspectives, mm -hmm. is that you're, you're showing the strangeness in proportion and the wonder that is sort of the result of what the blenders and the distillers are responsible for. Yeah. Like you're, you're really sh uh, showcasing that uniqueness. And I think to me, like, you know, going back to this notion of emergence, emergence wouldn't be emergence if we got the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. Emergence is interesting in terms of the interactions of large groups of particles because of the new stuff, the unexpected sure. stuff, the novelties that we get. And that's, I think, what drew me so strongly to your work and why I'm just, I'm excited for you that you have so many other spirits categories and so much more to let dry on the bottom of glass and pass through some light filters yeah. and see what you can create. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. It, it absolutely does. And, you know, I like the fact that this project works on so many different levels. It works on a science level. It works on a passion level. It works on the viewer looking at the image and going, what is this? I've never seen this planet or I've never seen this landscape. And that's beautiful to me. The fact that, you know, people's minds and perspectives will help dictate what they're seeing, what they're viewing. Um, and that, that's ultimately the beauty of art is that we all bring our own perspectives and our viewpoints to art. And you may see what I'm seeing. You may not see even close to what I'm seeing, but that's the beauty of art. Um, I, I love that there's this whole industry that are working passionately um, on their craft for something that we enjoy in a very transient moment. You know, it's really mind-blowing to think that we're storing away these casks for 15, 18, 21 years, um, years, you know, and then I'm going to drink it, you know, for just an evening. It's amazing the dedication that these people all over the world, you know, but, you know, I have a lot of experience with meeting these people in, in Scotland and just the dedication to their craft is wonderful to observe. Yeah. Well, Ernie, I, I, I want to jump into a couple of quick lightning round questions oh, sure, here. Sure. But, first, I, but first, I wanted to just give you the opportunity to promote the book. And, you know, so like if, yeah. if our listeners or our viewers who've been joining us here are interested in picking up The Art of Whiskey, 
where can they go? Who's the publisher? Um, how do they get their hands on a copy, especially knowing that Father's Day is coming up? And from what I hear, dads like to drink. <laughs> yeah, I was a little disappointed that the, the book came out after Mother's Day because uh, yeah. it would be a perfect opportunity for mothers to pick it up as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I find it ironic that you know my wife is the one that introduced me to whiskey. So whiskey is something that should be celebrated from all people, all, all genders. But you're absolutely right. It's available for Father's Day. Um, it uh, was published by Chronicle Books. And it was a very interesting process trying to publish a book during the pandemic. Because I'm sure the process would have been a lot faster, but it took roughly two and a half years to get this from concept to, you know, people's hands. Yeah, It's available from Chronicle. I think there's a 20% discount on their particular website. Uh, it's also available through Amazon. For my friends outside of the U.S., Amazon is probably the best place to pick that up. Sure. And what we'll do is uh, I'll collect a number of different ways to purchase this book and we'll put those over on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. And the last thing I wanted to ask is, you know, it seems like this project is ongoing. Is there anything sort of on the horizon for you or maybe already sort of stationed in your studio? Is there already a spirit drying in a glass that you're super excited about? Or is there a category that you're most excited to dig into as we kind of move forward here in 2022? There's definitely some projects that I have that are either in the talks or close to solidifying. Um, I'm still fascinated by this uh, rice whiskey phenomenon, um, the organic patterns that it, that it makes for me. At the very beginning of the pandemic, a, a company, uh, a new whiskey company by the name of Shibui reached out to me and um, they had talked about doing a project with me and nothing has really come to fruition with that, but they provided me with their entire line of whiskey samples. The images and the patterns that I've gotten from those are so unique that I, I would love to be able to share them with the public, but I haven't shared them all because I have no idea if a project is going to come out of this or not. Um, yeah. Shout out, shout out to my friend, Nicholas Palaki from Shibui. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Super he, nice he was on the podcast and they uh, just a remarkable, remarkable lineup. Uh, yes. And they're really doing things in, in, in good faith uh, and, uh, with, with the projects that they're doing. Cause I, I know a lot of those guys, you know, they have experience in other regions and kind of taking their, taking their talents to Japan as kind of, you know, freelance mercenaries, but <laughs> the way that they've gone about it and the, the partner, ships that they've made there, especially with their like hundred percent rice whiskeys and stuff like that is just absolutely stunning, really done in good faith. And, and really no, fun. absolutely. And like I said, uh, it's, it's a very good whiskey, but the patterns are so different than the scotch. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I hope to be able to share those. If nothing comes of a partnership, then I, I will definitely end up sharing, you know, what I have, but um, truly fascinating to me. And also, um, you know, Waterford has become a really big popular whiskey. Um, And I really admired what they were trying to do as far as, you know, prove that terroir is a thing. And, you know, can different farm regions 
um, make a difference in the taste. And so I'm like, huh. I reached out to them. I think it was 2019. Yeah, it, it was. They started the conversation. And we were all set to visit Waterford and pick up some samples. And we were doing that April 2020. And so, of course, that's when the pandemic really just <laughs> yeah. kind of took off. And yeah. so that was stalled. All that to say, two years later, I finally got some samples and I've been furiously making images with that, really trying to see what their whiskey and, and some of their casks will produce. Initially, some interesting results. So again, hope to be able to share that on the horizon. That's awesome. Well, uh, I can't recommend to our listeners enough to, you know, subscribe to you on your, on your social media and keep an eye on what you're putting out. I also just love the fact that you're just evaporating whiskey. Like what yeah. you do is you just let whiskey evaporate. Yeah. It, there, there's something just mm, delicious about that. <laughs> uh, well, and <laughs> interjecting a small little point, you know, when that happens, the bouquet of the whiskey fills the room. So if I mm -hmm. have multiple samples drying in my studio, my studio will carry the bouquet of that particular whiskey for at least a day or two. So it, it's a real sensory project. Yeah, it's almost like the music that's playing in the background while you do your yeah, photography. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ernie, this has been tremendous. I could bother you for a very long time, but uh, how about we jump into a couple quick lightning round questions? Perfect. Let's do it. All right. Classic desert island scenario. Yes. This might be difficult for you because your palate is uh, fairly widely traveled, but uh, let, let's assume that, you know, we're a spirits and cocktail podcast. You can lop off the cocktail if you want, <laughs> but uh, the question is if you could have one cocktail and one bottle to accompany you on a desert island mm -hmm. for the rest of your life, interpret that scenario however you want, sure. what would they be? I'm not much of a cocktail person, but my wife is. And she, uh, I'm assuming Desert Island, I'm going to have my wife on there. I'm not going to be sure. marooned right. alone. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, she has recently found the last word. Have you heard uh, of that? It's my favorite cocktail, of course. She is in love with that cocktail. And so that's the cocktail that I would say for her. Um, for me, I was gifted a bottle of the Balvenie Doublewood 25. Truly a stunning bottle. So it'd either be that one or the Balvenie 21 Portwood. Yeah. So yeah, those, those are very high on my list. My father is a huge Balvenie fan as well. So I've had the chance to, uh, to check those out. I, I love, I love the last word because you could also look at that as cheating of like, Oh, those are, uh, uh four other bottles you get to take <laughs> onto the island there. But, Absolutely. Uh, it, it, uh, do, do you know what your wife's favorite gin is with the last word or is she just start, uh, you know, playing around with it? Um, she has tried several gins, but she always comes back to the Hendrix mm -hmm. as a good mixing gin. Um, she plays around with the Esme. We've tried a couple other gins, mm -hmm. but as far as a cocktail gin, she says nothing beats the Hendrix. Well, if you ever get a chance, yes, I, absolutely. I would, uh, I'd recommend, and this will hopefully resonate with you as a scotch whiskey fan, but the botanist is really, really lovely in both the last word format and also, you know, your classic drier formats like your martini. Um, you know, the botanist is very near and dear to my heart and obviously also a product of our friends over at Bricolati. 
Now, I don't know how much time we have, but I've got a, a botanist story. Um, Please. She loves the botanist straight with a little bit of lemon. So uh, we, mm. the botanist is mm. definitely not lost on us. Oh, yeah. But for their, their face, uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but Face Isla Festival uh, mm-hmm. last year, they released a, a barrel-aged botanist. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got I to at least contact. Well, uh, at first I tried to get one, and they didn't ship to Arizona. So I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, I can't get that. So I'm, all, I'm never afraid to ask respect, respectfully, um, can you provide me information or a sample? So I contacted Brooke Laddie and I said, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Um, I've recently found out that barrel-aged gin will create patterns like my, my Vanishing Spirits uh, work. Would it be possible to get a small sample of the the aged botanist? And they were so kind; they they were able to get me after a couple months delay because it was in the height of the pandemic. Uh, they were able to get me a small sample, and it did not produce patterns like it normally would because it was aged entirely in a French wine cask. Mm-hmm. And the wine element really messes with the 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 pattern, and so those damn grapes. It it, it really is. Um, and so I, I got some interesting images, but not quite what I was expecting. Mm. So anyway, um, wonderful tasting, very sugary um, botanist uh, flavor to it. Um, but you know that's my botanist story. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I, I didn't even realize they had uh, released that version. So next question here. Uh, what's a seemingly small or idiosyncratic occurrence that always makes your day? And as somebody who focuses in on the small and idiosyncratic, I'm hoping that you're sensitive to this sort of phenomenon. Oh, absolutely. There are two things that pop to mind. My drive from my home to work it's a pretty peaceful drive. And so even though I'm going to kind of an intense environment, going to work at a hospital, it's always kind of a recalibration for the morning or, or the evening, you know, just having that peaceful drive through the mountains, um, you know, down the, the center of the city. Um, that's a, a nice recalibration for me. Um, mm. I also love to exercise. So at the end of a particularly stressful day, if I have a really good run, that's one of those nice things that I've really come to appreciate, especially as I'm getting older. Really good workouts are more difficult to achieve nowadays. Um, you know, and so when I have a really good run, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I love the notion of recalibration because as an artist, you're somebody who is constantly using your own senses and ex- as 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 an extension of and as a filter for what you're getting from your tools. Sure. And and so that recalibration aspect having having a a set point to return to seems to be really valuable. Absolutely. Um, so that, that that's a really interesting answer. Um, if you could have a cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you enjoy? Just kind of paint us a picture. Mm. Um, probably have to be my my grandfather. My grandfather was he he died in ninety three, and I was just becoming an interesting adult by that time. 
he was a plumber by trade. Uh, mm -hmm. He lived up in a small town in Washington, was Depression era. So when he was uh, 21, 22, it was at the height of the Depression. And so he had migrated from South Dakota um, to Washington just looking for work, anything that he could pick up. And when he made it to Washington, the only place that was hiring full time was a plumbing uh, practice. And so he picked up plumbing and created a very successful business in that particular town. But he was a, a whiskey drinker. And, you know, I had not gotten into whiskey or, or alcohol that much by the time he had passed. And so the fact that I had um, gotten into this, uh, I hate to call it a line of work because it's a line of passion, really, but had grown my palate and have come to appreciate whiskey, knowing that he was someone that appreciated that. And just being able to, to talk to him would be awesome. Yeah. It's funny, right before we sat down to record this interview, I had just repaired a bridge arm floor lamp that my grandfather and I had rewired together. Very similar story mm. of like somebody, he came down from Canada, yeah. Yeah. Uh, served in the US military during reconstruction in France, and then came back okay. and was, you know, a, ran a garage and a Christmas tree farm. It was just generally a handyman. And so, literally, this bridge arm floor lamp that you see oh, wow. right here. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, he rewired it. He passed a couple of years back, but he he rewired that with me, and uh, I managed to break it because you know I'm I'm not a gentle person, yeah. and uh, so I just in time for an interview, I was uh, able to take it apart and and uh, make it so that it worked again. So uh, really timely answer there. Um, last question here. Yeah. You're somebody who has a very good sample size when it comes to the spirits world, especially within a few verticals, right? Scotch mm -hmm. whiskey being one of your deepest. Do you have any controversial views or opinions in the spirits oh, or cocktail interesting. world? Um, the one that first jumps to mind is this, this battle between age statements and no age statements. Um, I, I get why the no age statements have become popular with distilleries because, mm -hmm. you know, whiskey can be tasty at a young age. Um, and so, you know, taking some of that younger uh, whiskey um, and turning it into something new or exciting, it's a great way to get some of that younger stock out of, <laughs> out of the, uh, the uh, storage units and into, you know, people's hands. Um, but as a consumer, you kind of want to know what you're consuming, you know. Um, and I think distilleries have become better about telling what's in the bottle. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the controversies. You probably are, are aware of this, but the whole raging blockchain sales of physical objects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't know what to think about that. Uh, you know, I I understand both sides. You know, it's a it's a new and interesting way to to sell whiskey, um, to you know um, get people interested in the whiskey markets and and get you know unique whiskeys into people's hands. But it's also you know is it environmentally friendly? Is it um, an efficient way to get something into people's hands? And it feeds into the secondary market of 
flipping bottles. Yeah. We talked about this on the whiskey cast uh, live uh, presentation. And I'm someone that believes that whiskey should be drunk, should be shared, um, should be enjoyed. Um, and granted, if you're buying a 70 year old uh, whiskey or, you know, with the Macallan, an 81 year old whiskey that just came on the market, um, you'd have to be really rich to be able to enjoy a million dollar whiskey. But for it to just sit there, I don't know, there, there's something that's lost. You know, the, the people mm-hmm. that crafted that 80 years ago, 81 years ago, did they want it to just sit on a shelf? Well, I think that's a really great place to uh, bring this interview to a close because I think what it puts us in contact with is the fact that when we consume a spirit, we are consuming art, right? Like I, I ran a, totally I actually I'll, I'll share my screen just briefly <laughs> one more time here. Um, and I'll pull up this graphic, but uh, let me get to it here. Um, here it is. Uh, we, we shared a poll oh, yeah, yeah. out for our listeners this week and, uh, it was sort of inspired by the fact that we we're going to be talking with you. And so I asked, which is more important for whiskey making art or science? And 72% of people answered science. And I think that's telling. Absolutely. I, I, I think that it's, uh, I think it's accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't, you can't have the spirit unless you understand the science that's responsible for getting it to turn from, uh, from a grain into a, uh, a distillate. On the other hand, I do think that what we're drinking when we crack open that bottle and pour it into the glass and we consider that the amber color that was yielded by the, uh, what, uh, my friend Lou Bank and, uh, has shared with me from the agave world that Mexican distillers call the 500 decisions, mm-hmm. right? The 500 decisions yeah. that, cr- that, that bring that from the grain to the glass. That really is art. And I, I think the, the questions that you're bringing up about NFTs and the blockchain world, uh, I know that there's some projects that you're involved with there. And I, I think that there's a, a lot of like, there's a lot of legitimate use cases for that when it comes to sharing actual unique pieces of art. Yeah. And so in that respect, I think you're, you're super uh, well qualified to comment on that. But I do agree with you. There is sort of this lingering question And maybe this is what we can leave up in the clouds for our listeners, right? So what you're doing is when you photograph these spirits, you're, you're leaving a few drops of whiskey in the glass and, and, and you're able to capture the process of those spirits vanishing. Yeah. But it seems to be a different type of vanishing when suddenly the spirits are being hoarded and not being drunk and enjoyed. Like it's almost, it's a, it's a vanishing of a more tragic type. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I think that's what you're referring to. And I, and in that respect, I completely agree. Uh, I think that the work that you're doing is really exciting. Uh, I'm excited to keep on following you and seeing what you produce. And if there's any way that I can, uh, be of assistance in that project as somebody who just is enjoying the heck out of, uh, spectating from the sidelines, please do hit, hit me up and, Absolutely. um, uh, can you just share with our listeners how to follow you and how to connect with you in the digital space before we sign off here? So I, I am on several social media sites. I'm on Instagram. I actually have two accounts, one for my whiskey work and one for my, my non-whiskey work. Um, my whiskey work is Vanishing Spirits underscore Ernie Button. 
And um, my non-whiskey work is just straight up Ernie Button. Um, I am on Twitter. Um, I don't post a lot, but uh, I'm on there. Um, I do have a website. It's ErnieButton.com. And there is a email on there that you can click and send me an email if you want. Yeah, those are the, the main ways to contact. Awesome. Well, Ernie, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest here on the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Thank Absolutely. you for the work that you've done. And uh, best of luck as you Thanks. continue this series of incredible experiments. No, I appreciate it. It was wonderful to talk with you, Eric, and uh, thanks for having me on. Cheers. Cilantro. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Barcart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips, and keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, photography and whiskey insights courtesy of Ernie Button, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2022.